0: Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley. And with me as always, my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris DeMuth. It is Thursday, January 5th, and today we're talking about Warren Buffett's Reverse Yankee. And then we're going to talk about just an awful start of the year for retailers. Uh, so, Chris, Warren Buffett's reverse Yankee. I mean, just what a uh, what a name for something. It, it does not sound like. What it is. If you ask me what a reverse Yankee is, I would think it's something we couldn't talk about on this podcast.
1: My first guess wasn't really sexual as much as it was some kind of grift, that it was some kind of like a bank (laughs) heist uh, movie premise. Uh, Should we go with the reverse Yankee on this one? Yeah, I think so.
0: It'd be funny, like, Warren Buffett, after 50 years, the Oracle of Omaha, it's revealed he's been pulling a reverse Yankee on us all this uh, this time. But anyway, uh, so... A reverse Yankee, a, a Yankee. It's in reference to a bond. A Yankee bond is when a foreign company sells bonds that are denominated in dollars. Well, Warren Buffett in Berkshire Hathaway today, they pulled. They pulled a reverse Yankee, and they they're a U.S. company, and they sold bonds that were denominated in euros. They sold uh, about 1.1 billion euros worth of bonds, a four-year bond at just over a 0.25 percent interest rate, and then a six-year bond at just under a 0.7 percent interest rate. Not seven percent. So, Christian, what do you think of Warren Buffett's reverse Yankee? Why do you think he's choosing to pull it off right now?
1: I'm not loading money to anybody at 0.26%, even Warren Buffett, Uh, but uh, clearly low rates on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, It's not clear to me instantly whether this is more of a hedge balance with their business and where they are making money, or if this is speculative. But one of the things that really makes a difference on the markets uh, between the European market and the U.S. market is we don't really have anything uh, uh, similar to the EuroSystems corporate sector purchase program, where they're really actively in their central bank. Buying up mm-hmm. their local debt, which drives the prices way, way up, drives the yields way, way down, so that when then Americans kind of show up, even though they don't directly participate in the CSPP uh, buyers, all of a sudden have a ton of demand available to buy that paper. It's
0: a great it point; very easy. It's to a place. great point, and I, I believe, and I, I haven't followed it too closely, but I believe one of the things the central bank said when the, the European Central Bank said. We're going to have to stop uh, a lot of our quantitative easing purchases of bonds in March or April because at that point there just won't be that much debt left for us to go buy up. So Warren Buffett, you know, a lot of demand, not much supply going and issuing bonds. Uh, I think that makes sense.
1: The, the mechanics of it's difficult. Although I've also offered that at a negative interest rate, that I would also personally issue uh, debt over there. You know, the the, the, the Germans uh, having done this, I thought that sounded like a wonderful <laughs> idea. I, I,
0: I'm not as enthusiastic as a fire, but would definitely be an issuer. You know and then you you kind of touched on it just a second ago it's interesting to me that he chose to intro uh, sell euro bonds today is it a kind of currency call and the reason it's interesting is you know my first take on this was oh he's doing something in the euro that makes sense the dollar's been super strong the euro's been super weak he's taking advantage of kind of a weak euro to go and go long the euro but actually if you do the math we were talking about earlier by issuing bonds he's actually kind of shorting the euro by issuing bonds and uh you know he's famously in the mid-2000s he famously he said the dollar's too strong he kind of went short currency for the first time in his life shorting the dollar and going long a couple of foreign currencies including the euro the euro is about around the range where he was kind of putting on the bulk of his trade in the uh, mid 2000s even discussed it in his 2003 2004 annual report so i'm kind of surprised that he's choosing to short the do- the short the euro now, when the dollar's so strong, maybe it's just a hedge. Maybe we're reading too much into it. $1.1 billion, $1.1 billion for Berkshire is not a lot of money. So maybe it's just matching operating. But just the timing is a little bit surprising to me. I don't know if you want to say anything you about know, that.
1: The vast majority of the work that he does is just firm-level, bottoms-up uh, research. He does that. Spectacularly well, and I would say the same for us kind of macro stuff is sort of uh, extracurricular. Uh, he downplays his macro thoughts, but they've been very good. Uh, I mean, he really has made a number of uh, Bets uh, like against uh, the dollar uh, that worked out very well. Uh, what's interesting right now is that he's been so impacted since the election about the uh, era of making America great again, and it's certainly been great for him, yeah. even though he was an opponent.
0: You know, on his macro bet, so I think. He's been great in terms of, you know, he wrote the Buy American I Am piece in October 2008. Wasn't quite the bottom, but if you did it then and held it for very close, it, you, you did very well. Uh, I believe he wrote a piece saying he felt like an oversexed man in a harem at the, at the absolute lows of 1972, 1973. Uh, he said markets were... He called were, the top very he well called the $9 tops $9. for. He called the tops. So he's been great with stock market pricing. But you know, on his macro calls, I don't know if he's been so great. Because we remember he's done. he did well on the dollar. I think he famously did a really nice silver trade. Silver. But also he was a disaster with his oil investment in Phillips. And I think there are a couple others. So I wonder if he's really... If we kind of just ascribe him Oracle-like things on his macro calls. Certainly stocks, he's done great. But, I, you know, I, I just don't know on the others. So I don't know if you have anything on that or...
1: No, I... I uh... Just the list, I, I think our recollections are somewhere on the list or the ones that I think about. I think those net out pretty positively. Uh, and, and and I don't know, I hesitate to call this a macro bet, but some of his uh, just uh, kind of very, very long-dated uh, equity options also were triumphs. Yep, uh, yep. Uh, and I kind of put that in the basket. So I, th- I think that nets out pretty positively. The oil is the big... Glaring and counterexample.
0: And then, just, just turning back to the euro bonds, you know, the other thing I, I kind of thought about when I saw he was announcing it is, is he loading up on some euros to go buy some European uh, mm-hmm. European companies? I think the time might be really right for that. Yeah. The European uh, economy has been sluggish for so long. I think pri- you know, I, I only glanced, but I think prices over there are much cheaper than they are here in uh, America. So it really could be right for someone like Warren Buffett coming in and. Uh, taking advantage. I think there's also a lot more family companies. I was was going to say, in
1: in both Germany and France, the uh, scale, I mean, in the U.S., we really have this kind of dichotomy of smaller private, larger public uh, companies and our banks are very good at uh, putting a bug in the ear of entrepreneurs saying that this is a rite of passage. As soon as you get big, you go public. Uh, But that's not at all the case in France and Germany. There are huge, huge companies that are individual and family run. In France, sometimes they're nominally they have a little bit of a public float in Germany they're almost completely private Um, but it would just be a perfect connection he's talked about that a lot he's thought about it even more but hasn't really had the chance to pull the trigger that Mm -hmm. much and uh, there's some opportunities in France and Germany that he I think really could uh, go after when socially the time is right for the sellers
0: Perfect. So, you know, I think that's it on the reverse shank. You'll be interested to see how all that plays out. But let's turn over to retailers. And it has just been an awful start to the year for retailers. Uh, You know, today especially was not a good day to be either a retail employee or a retail investor. Uh, This morning, Sears announced they were closing 150 stores as well as as selling their uh, Craftsman brand of tools to Stanley Black & Decker. Kohl's and Mo- Macy's both warned of very weak holiday results. Macy's announced they were slashing 10,000 jobs and closing dozens of so- stores. And this is on top of the 63 store closures that uh, we talked about last summer. Uh, you know, Shares across the board were down mid-double digits for Macy's and Kohl's and all of their peers. JCPenney, Nordstrom's this saw a really weak uh, share price as well as investors started to kind of do the quick math and say, well, if Macy's did be- had a poor holiday season— JCPenney probably had a poor holiday season. And even turning away from kind of the specialty retailers, Barnes & Noble's came out this morning with very weak earnings. Shares were down 7%. And in kind, you know, I just kind of looked Best Buy. Shares were down 3 or 4% just on the general sector weakness. So... Chris, what do you think about uh, the retail sector, retail weakness? Are you seeing any opportunities, just everything in general?
1: Uh, You know, uh, let me tie it into two thoughts I've been having. One is it's been a terrible sector for hero worship. You know, uh, think for yourself, do your own work and be very careful just because there are uh, operators or investors one admires. I would put on that list – uh, towards the top of the list I would put Eddie Lampert himself at Sears uh, I would put uh, Starboard in their efforts at Macy's uh, there have been a lot of people who I respect uh, as uh, value investors who've gotten in uh, trouble here uh, It. Makes me question whether value investing exactly works here. I think it should. It should always, uh, but it also reminds me a little bit of the John Hampton piece that you sent me on doubling down and the uh, uh, the, the caution about doubling down just on price because a lot of these prices are lower. But uh, but it's unclear to me. Um, and then just last little reaction is that uh, a lot of value investing involves mean reversion, but there looks to me at least right now like there are very profound and possibly permanent shifts hurting retailers. And I think of the fact that I hated the idea of going to an indoor, especially indoor mall, but any kind of mall when they were sort of cheerful and filled with people and stores, the idea that as one anchor or two Mm anchors shuts down, that the third anchor will kind of reorganize the space and rent out half of it, uh, which was kind of the semi doom and gloom scenario of a year or two ago gets to be gloomier and doomier
0: yeah and and, you know i think we talked about it on the the podcast over the summer that was kind of my uh, uh, that real estate thing is was kind of my worry with all of these real estate like if only sears is looking to rent out their real estate and malls are booming then okay that's great sears is going to find a lot of leasers but if sears if macy's if jc penny if dillard's if everyone's trying to lease the same space at the same time like What retailers going in and building these spaces out? Uh, Now you know you are seeing a shift of malls to you know the entertainment complex, building movie theaters, skating rinks, all this sort of stuff. But if all of the space is coming online at once, and it's kind of while your your core business is melting down, that's tough. And you know on what you were saying with the the doubling down piece, the issue with these retailers is if they go from sixty to thirty, their price hasn't necessarily been cut in half because there's so much leverage built into their business model from their fixed costs and their big operating leases. So if they go from 60 to 30 and you double down, you're probably only buying it 5% cheaper as their, as their uh, revenues are coming down just because of that huge fixed cost. Uh, the, the other thing that kind of struck me about Sears here and uh, Alternative to but just the amount of assets that Sears had not just 3 years ago but if you go back 5 10 20 years ago it's staggering you know just a uh, a couple so dean witter brokerage now part of morgan stanley uh allstate which is now the largest publicly traded us home and auto insurance discover Lands End, coldwell banker and several others these are all publicly major publicly traded companies that have been spun out of spun out of sears over the past 20 years it's just crazy to think how big they used to be
1: mm-hmm. yeah really a lot when uh when my grandparents passed away, and I was looking through, helping with their finance stuff afterwards, I was thinking, how did they even end up with some of these securities? And it was owning AT and T, Sears, a few of these, yep. forever ago, and then leading to dozens and dozens of spinoffs, decade to decade, uh, since you, then.
0: You know, it kind of makes me think like. Imagine 20, 30, 40 years in the future. Amazon's probably the biggest company in the world. But what if they're not? What if some new startup Amazon comes and dethrones Amazon just like they've probably done to Walmart and just like Walmart did to Sears? If Amazon's splitting up, you know, you could be saying, oh, Amazon's selling their giant – Amazon selling their giant online – online video streaming company and Amazon selling their warehouse centers. It'd be like, they're the only other company I can think of that would just have that much in terms of pure assets in so many different sectors. But
1: under distress, boy, big asset sales, it's a kind of a grim sign. Um, And I would also say from the shareholder, kind of the active or even activist shareholder perspective, that the simpler plans almost always are best and almost always it's, time for them to sell, they're entrenched, they should sell, and kind of the post-it note level activist uh, plan can be very good. Once you have these kind of 100-page slide decks and a lot of complexity around, you know, kind of machinations on real estate and changing on uh, uh, financing there, you uh, It's sort of fraught. Some of the good ideas would have already been done by the operators if it was, in fact, such a good idea. And here we have the kind of complex activism. I think it's. uh, Do
0: you think. Because Sears was complex, right? There were so many different just. uh, I, I think Macy's was kind of simple, though, right? The Macy's thing was hey you have the Macy's operating business and you have the you have all this uh, undervalued retail real estate you've held for hundreds of years like let's split them up and sell the real estate it, it, was it more complex than that just, or it, just I...
1: that there were a couple different moving parts at the same time mm-hmm. and that Macy's had such uh, uh, different types of real estate um, I, it, maybe I exaggerate the point but um, it was one that I had kind of high hopes for early on I'm kind of would say at this point I'm in your camp. Uh, on it, uh, we. Uh, I think we're going to end up having no disclosures, at least in this section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have one on something I'm going to mention in a bit. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Why, you know, why I, I think don't I, we turn to what you wanted to sure. mention? Sure. Um, uh, do you want to introduce? Uh, well, uh, uh, in the uh, world of retailers, uh, the the one category. I mean, I've been. Uh, i thought about Amazon so much for a stock that I've never been – I need to buy a share at some point just so I can give up on having missed this. Uh, but uh, um, of all the things that Amazon has destroyed, I think one of the most amazing thing now is watching their uh, new Amazon uh, bookstores come out. But, um, you know, it's sort of like Henry Ford buying up buggy whips kind of to add insult to injury after he's wiped out an industry. But at the same time, it's also the further digitization of the world. It's not moving away from the Mm digital world in that payments are going to be on apps. And I think, if anything, this is going to be a great uh, training mechanism for Amazon customers to get further used to checking Amazon prices in the physical world Mm -hmm. on mobile apps. And, I mean, I think this is kind of uh, end times like for not just bookstores but anything else that competes in the physical world where you can just price shop online. Um, My one and only retail interest at this point is Cabela's and the process of being bought by Bass Pro Shops. I thought it was a great pre-arb opportunity. I think it's a good arb opportunity. I think there's a big spread because the deal uh, closing expectations have been delayed to the latter half of the year. Uh, The seven and a half Dollar arb spread gets you to about a seventeen percent IRR if it closes by September. Uh, it needs OCC. It's a it is a complicated deal. It needs OCC approval for the spinoff of their card business to Capital One, uh, then the sale of the retail business to Bass Pro Shops. There are antitrust issues that I think are surmountable with competition from Walmart. But one of the reasons why I like it is. They don't have competition from Amazon. They don't have competition from Amazon because they sell products that Amazon explicitly restricts. Uh, And I think that this is one of the areas, looking at Amazon's restricted list, that you can still compete because they don't want to sell firearms.
0: Yep, yep. And it's interesting because Amazon... They probably could sell firearms, right? But it's one of those areas where Amazon says, hey, we've got a two, three, four dollars 400000000000 billion business over here. Why are we going to risk it going into the couple hundred million dollar gun sales business with all the headaches and legal liabilities and regulatory and political risks that come with it? And exactly what you're saying because Cabela's makes – I don't know how much of their sales come from uh, – from gun and firearm sales but obviously a decent bit mm-hmm. and it gives them a little bit of moat because they're the largest player there and they don't have to worry about big online players so and, and, far. and
1: it seriously fits into their culture the rest of it you know it's not just guns and ammo but you know kind of camouflage uh, recliner chairs and that kind of thing. It fits in with that.
0: Yeah. The, the last thing I, I'm going to say, and I'd be remiss not to talk about it, is, is Sears. You know, they sold the Craftsman brand. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're getting – they call it $900 million, But if you look at it, it is a complex transaction. I don't think it gets them anywhere close to that. But, uh, you know, this deal buys them a little bit more time. But it, unless they can sell the Kenmore and Die Hard brands and maybe some more real estate – you could probably anticipate a bankruptcy filing for Seal yeah. or Sears by late summer, early mm-hmm. fall. You know, At most, maybe they can push it out to next year. But it, 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 barring the most incredible turnaround of all time, that thing's going bankrupt in the next year.
1: And the buyers on all those assets know the situation they're in. So yeah. it's a terrible time to have to sell a lot of assets. Uh, so, yeah, and you can just wait and... Look at assets in bankruptcy. If
0: you look what people thought Craftsman was worth two or three years ago and what they paid for it today, it's clear either no one wants these assets or everybody says, hey, we can buy it for you now or we can buy them from you in bankruptcy, but we don't really have to pay up for these bad boys. Uh, Great. Okay, so let's call it there. Chris, I think your disclosure was your longs and Cabela's. I don't have any disclosures. So those are the disclosures. Just a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please take the time to rate or review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom done our disclosures. We will talk to you guys next week.